Hello, everybody. I think we're going to kick things off. Uh, yeah, so welcome to the first talk of the second uh, talk. Oh, that's a good start. Panel <laughs> of the second day of Guru Live. Uh, my name's Will Freeman. Uh, I'm a freelance video games journalist, places like the Guardian and Edge and so on, general industry loiterer. I'll just be chairing this panel, asking some questions. Um, hopefully, we're going to get some fascinating insights, and you'll, of course, be, although you won't be looking at your phones all the way through the panel, you will be sharing the interesting parts on social media. And when you do, so the hashtag is uh, Guru Live. Um, yeah, so I guess we will dive straight in to the panel. Uh, I think I've done everything. I've said a hashtag and who I am. Um, so yeah, I'll give very brief introductions to the panel then, but basically saying their names, and then we'll get them all to give a little bit of uh, context on who they are. Uh, first of all, one thing I'll re do really quickly is ask a few questions of you guys just to get a sense of how we might answer things. So how many people are in or moving into the games industry in this room? Excellent. So um, we, that, so the rest of you are film, TV, things like that? Is that fair to say? There we go. There's some people meek. Don't be meek. You're welcome here. And or TV. Yeah, that's, that's the other industry that's not games, isn't it? Film and or TV radio. Um, yeah, so and Quick show of hands, these will only be approximate, but if you're in the games industry, developers, yeah, and publishers, none of, ah, the one down, ah, two, we'll, we will be nice to them, no, we've got some on stage. Um, okay, we've got a little sense of who we're speaking to, um, so yeah, I have never yet managed to write down in order the people in my panel and the order they're sitting in, but as I know them all, I, uh, I'll just make some very brief intros, um, literally just giving your name. Next, we've got uh, Karina Abbott. Then we've got Simon Smith, um, Noirin Kamadi. Uh, who's next? Des Gale. And on the end, Mike Bithell. So let's just break the ice and give them a warm round of applause. So, yeah, um, you know, you guys, have, we've got quite a variety of kind of types of career in the games industry and experience, so we'll try and keep it brief. Um, but if you could just give a little intro of kind of who you are, and I guess, you know, We'll delve into more detail, but just touch on kind of your relationship with panels, mate. Uh, panels, <laughs> pitches. Maybe you're used to being on the receiving end, or you've done a lot, or you're a publisher. So uh, we'll go this way and start with I Karina. Start. Yeah, my mic on. Yeah, there we go. Yeah. Uh, so uh, my background's in video game marketing. I currently run my own agency. So most of the pitching that I would particularly do is funding for my own company, but also PR pitching and just general marketing pitches to customers as well as other companies. Great, Simon. Um, I've been in the games industry for 19 years, um, Codemasters, Blitz Games, Sony. Um, Blitz Games is the most relevant experience for this because I spent five years doing new business and uh, pitches and pitching for money and then went to Sony and had some experience with people pitching to me uh, and I've got my own company called Thumb Food, publishing kids and family games and recently uh, successfully pitched and got some money from Sony so I've done it very, very recently. Um, and we're now currently spending that money. Hi, um, I've been uh, working in the games industry for 30 years. Um, I started out in publishing at Activision and then 
that co-founded Revolution Software with three other founders. Um, my pitching uh, has run for about 27 years to publishers, to all sorts of, of uh, different people. I also get involved in mentoring and um, you know, taking pitches from young startups um, and helping them to um, fine tune how they do that. Uh, morning. Um, I've been in the industry for a redacted amount of time. Um, <laughs> and I'm on the panel today because uh, I, I'm the founder producer of Gene, who make mobile games ourselves. And uh, I used to work for Screenage Collective, where we receive pitches for other games. Um, I think 10 or 11 years for me. <laughs> sounds like really a, sounds like an, years, a, an Alcoholics Anonymous, doesn't yeah. it? A little bit. Um, yeah, 11 years. Um, and uh, I'm, I guess, best known as an indie. I made um, Thomas Was Alone uh, and a bunch of other stuff. Um, before that, I also worked at Blitz doing new business stuff, um, doing the design side of different pitches. Um, and then more recently, I've had to do a lot of pitching and my next project was also pitched and is an ongoing thing. Uh, I'm also spending their money. So, uh, yeah, that's me. Great. Well, you know, I guess we're going to try and understand what best pitching, best practice in pitching in the games industry is and, you know, the types of pitch there are. Being very honest, why we went with the panel format this year is because it's been really difficult to find a way of kind of communicating to people what pitching is because there's so many types. We've tried workshops before or kind of... Um, the speed dating format having tables and everyone gets five minutes. So, but started to learn there's perhaps no such thing as a conventional pitch in the games industry. So hopefully we're going to explore the diversity of the pitches there are and kind of lessons that can help you whichever side of the pitching table you're on, so to speak. So let's dive into that. Like how, and I actually like, we won't answer in order, I'm generally just anyone dive in, but I am, I'm afraid, Lauren, I'm going to put this to you, first of all, as we were talking about it the other day. Uh, the question to all of you is about, you know, the diversity of types of pitches you experience. But, Lauren, you were saying, I think you just said now 27 years of pitching and receiving pitches, so you've got a little bit of experience. You were saying the other day to me how much you've noticed that what pitching in games is change. Would you be able to elaborate on that on the little? And then if anyone wants to dive in with kind of their yes, experience of um, that diversity. When we set out and, and set up the company, um, it was 1990. So there was no digital distribution. There was no internet. And basically, there were a, a group of publishers, mostly multinationals, uh, based in the UK. And we were pitching to them. Um, what, because I had come from publishing and one of the other founders had, in some respects it was easier. We had a network within that publishing community. They knew us, they'd worked with us, and that made it simpler. But we set out, uh, we write, basically at that time we were writing point-and-click adventures, story-based, narrative-driven. Um, and... Um, I had a background in that, in that I was uh, a brand manager for Sierra Online, and they were an adventure games company, um, really big in Europe and in the US. So I had an understanding of what that was. Um, also, Charles Cecil, who, who was a co-founder, had worked as a development manager at various companies, had written 
adventures while he was um, studying uh, for his degree. Um, so we both had a background in it. Um, so it, again, that made it easier for us to communicate what exactly we were trying to do and what we were aiming for was to take the adventure to the next level and introduce almost a new generation of adventure. Um, so the pitching was basically um, our ideas, um, our experience, and um, you know our, our track record as um, individuals who had worked within the sector previously. But moving on, uh, now it's a very crowded space. Um, we're publishing our own games uh, on digital. So our pitches are slightly different in that um, we're, we want, because we're publishing ourselves, we want to um, invest as much of our own money in the development of the game. Uh, and then what we do is we go to maybe uh, a sort of mix of funders. That would include possibly a bank. It could be crowdfunding. Um, and indeed, it could be a distributor which would do the box version for us. So, or, or a, um, a platform holder, a console, for example. So, our pitches are—they need to be geared to specific um, sort of people and organisations. So, it's a much harder, more difficult um, thing to do because you have to fine-tune to who you're, you're pitching. So that, that's the big change right. for us. And, and I saw quite a few nods there in agreement. It would be interesting to hear from the rest of you or any of you, you know, how many different types of pitch you find yourself doing with it for different reasons, different in tone. Uh, Simon? Um, I think that the one thing that you can take away from this event, that the one, the one thing, bit of information I would give to everyone is that the concept of pitching and everything about it is completely fluid. And touching on what you were just saying about um, how things have changed over the last amount of years, it's, it, it's fluid because it changes over time, and it's fluid because it changes on the people that you're talking to, the project that you're doing. So it, everything's completely fluid, even to the point of view that, you know, I'm changing my mind now about what I'm going to talk about on this panel, you know, because of the response and the comments of other people. That's how it works in a pitch. So you might change, you might turn up for a meeting. And, and, and actually, this did actually happen to me I, um, relatively recently. I turned up for um, some pitches for Money for Creative England, and I spoke to the people that had just come out because I was next but one. So while, while yeah, so the previous people came out and the next people went in, so I just got as much information as possible out of the people that just come out and changed my pitch. And that's just an example of how fluid it is. Another example of something that we did at Blitz Games um, we had Atari come in for a meeting and we were pitching about one game. During the meeting, they talked about um, how they had this uh, MTV license and uh, that someone was like pitching something for them and they didn't really like it and blah, blah, blah. So it was a completely different game. And me and my colleagues sat next to me, we, we pitched a, ga uh, a game design for an MTV game immediately in that meeting. And by the end of the meeting, we'd got uh, a pre-development contract to do a completely different game. Um, we didn't go ahead, but we did. We did a prototype, but just literally the fluidity of that meeting and that concept, we changed and got another 
and got another project out of it. And, and it just changes constantly. And I mean, there's loads of other tips, but I think that's the one thing I want to impart is that you have to be on your toes changing. Another just quick example of when I started at Blitz Games, I was the first person employed as a games designer. Uh, and my job was to do um, new concepts and you know pitch for new stuff because previously it was just done by people on the teams and they it was taking up too much of their time. So I was specifically employed to do that. So my example there is that when I started at Blitz Games, we were doing Word documents and we were just doing yeah, putting a few nice pictures in, really text heavy. By the time I finished, we were doing full multimedia extravaganzas with um, you know every you know I I didn't have any white paper in my documents that I gave to anyone because I hated white paper. It was all full color Photoshop. So that changed over time. And then, um, yeah, so another, just another example of fluidity, really. I guess looking at the PR side of things, because the changes in the in the general kind of ecosystem of games, the way that games are released and published, uh, you know, how people can publish fairly easily on their own now, um, that's really changed the way that we have to pitch. And it happens game to game as well. So for example, um, I'm working on a flight simulator uh, called Dead Stick, and it is a survival flight sim, which is quite unusual. So initially, we, we started pitching it as on the more flight sim side of it, because the audience is huge. Actually, once we saw one or two news pieces talking about how interesting the survival style is, we had to change our pitch completely and actually had much better results. And you know that happens all the time with uh, looking at the immediate audience that you're looking at. You have to really, really change your approach every single time. And you know. Talking Mike, you know, you know the changes massively because you see it on your games. Um, it goes from consumer up. So sometimes you need to really look at what the audience is looking at and, and engaging with so that you can pitch up to some of these more bigger opportunities. Um, and, you know, that fluidity, and like you say, that's, that's the most important thing, just being so fluid with, what, with your pitch and keeping an eye on the overall ecosystem that you're looking at. Um, yeah, just, just to, to add to that, a couple of things that I've seen change over over the years is um, there's just a sheer number of pitch materials you need to get ready. So um, you need to have an elevator pitch uh, for situations like this. So if you catch one of us walking out, like I want to be hearing about your game in like a minute, like or less. Like I I don't have enough time to sit there and listen to you for 15 minutes. Um, and then that, in, that that elevator pitch, you know, that's a, becomes the first slide of your pitch deck. Um, but you need two different versions of your pitch deck. You need one that you just mail that people can read, but you need another one that you're going to present with because they're going to be two different types of slides. Um, and I think also kind of the development timelines kind of changed. So if you go back five years, you could pitch games really early. You'd get a prototype, even paper. But nowadays, it, you know, you need to be have a, a physical prototype uh, to get close to getting serious money. And... It, uh, we'll touch on it later, but um, <laughs> and another evidence of that is uh, Kickstarter. So when Kickstarter came out, like in the development cycle, you could you could put ideas on there and it would get funded. But now, like the game needs to be like two thirds done before people will put money in. So that's that's kind of chase. I, I launched a Kickstarter this week, <laughs> and uh, you know that's exactly it. Like before, you could launch with a concept, and now you have to have a demo. Like if you don't have a demo on your Kickstarter, you might as well just not do it because it is vital. You need to give people an experience, an idea of what you're able to achieve because there's so many that have not, have not uh, delivered on their promises. It's important. 
And you know, even, even as a game developer, I think when you're looking at pitching, a Kickstarter is a really good place to kind of start building your initial pitch ideas because you have to answer some really crucial questions within the Kickstarter format, even if you just do it for yourself. Um, just like using it as a template. Yeah, use it as a template. Um, some of my developers, when they're talking about pitching to publishers, I'm like, just pick up Kickstarter and just fill it out as if you were going to give it, give it to you know, consumers because you have to prove that you're able to deliver. And just throw it to you, Mike, kind of, you know, from the sort of game developer indie side of things, do you, is there a normal pitch for you? Or would you agree with this general sentiment that there's no such thing as a standard pitch? I mean, there's definitely, I think the most important thing that's been said for me so far was specifically the targeting, your, knowing your audience. Like, I mean, you said it, and it's absolutely true. Um, so there is, you tailor, um, but to kind of just to offer a counter position on this, so everything, every, everything Des said was awesome, but <laughs> <laughs> as an indie, um, and I know Des is in a similar position, so I'm, I'm not gonna argue against him on this specifically, but oh, time is limited, as is your budget, as is your team, as is every opportunity you have. So you do have to, um, I try and optimize, I try and specifically work out, okay, I can risk this much of my company's time and my bank account on this pitch, uh, and therefore, what can I produce that's gonna have the biggest um, impact? Um, the secondary consideration I think a lot of people don't realize is very often you won't be pitching to the owner of the publisher. Uh, so therefore, anything you do pitch is actually going through five or six people. The first person you pitch to is not so much the end point as they're, your, uh, they're gonna fight for you within the company if they like you, uh, if they like the project, more importantly. Um, so, so those two considerations play in. So the basic um, model we use, which seems to have worked a couple of times for us, is prototype first. Um, you cannot, I mean, Kojima can, um, but most people cannot get a game signed in this day and age without a prototype. That's especially the indie end. Every indie publisher I know won't take a meeting unless you have a prototype. And arguably, fair enough, right? It's a very competitive market right now. If you can't demonstrate that you can do it, why are you worth their time? And additionally, I would say as an indie who, if you're trying to build a reputation, Definitely a good idea to know you can make the game you're pitching before you get someone else's money for it. So it's actually for you as well. It serves a purpose for you as well. The other thing is my prototype will be devoid of any of their of, of the stuff that ties specifically to what I'm pitching them. So it'll be a gray box, characters moving around. Um, there's an example of this, one of the games that we're hoping to make in a couple of years from now. We pitched to one company. They said to us, this isn't for us, but this is perfect for this existing IP. So we took it to the existing IP owners. They said, uh, no, you can't do that with our characters. Uh, so we said, okay, and we went and pitched something else with that same prototype. That got through a uh, lot of publishing rounds and was going to be published, and then there was a management overhaul, uh, which kills every project that's uh, in production often. Uh, so we got killed in that process, and we're now gonna make that game later with a completely different world. And that's all from one prototype. So that's one prototype being used five times, um, because it was a mechanic that was really strong. What we did in order to make it specific to each of the pitches we were doing was we then have a supporting deck, uh, so the kind of document that Des was talking about. So in our case, I always use a PDF because everyone's got a computer that opens a PDF and 50% of people don't have PowerPoint. Um, so always a PDF, uh, well presented. I came into Blitz, I feel like five or six years after you established the no white paper rule, so I was trained <laughs> by the time I got there. It was institutionalized that you used InDesign. Uh, you had three columns per page because that made it look more dense. Uh, even they had nothing to write about, um, and you design the stuff out in that. So, so we have a, a document, 
uh, uh, prototype. And then the final part that I don't hear people talk about much, but we do, and I think it's really useful, is specifically keyed into this idea of people passing stuff around within a company. We always provide a video. So it's a 15 to 20 minute video um, of the prototype being played, because no one's going to open a zip file. A uh, video of the game being played with little little mic in the corner, like a let's play, kind of talking and pointing out all the cool stuff and making a loud noise when some bug happens on screen and kind of uh, attracting your attention. Because that's the one thing that's gonna get passed around the company. And we found this, um, the thing we're working on at the moment is with some big, some big corporations. Um, and I've had to pitch the thing in person a dozen times. But we will get to pitch in person because someone saw a video that was doing the rounds within the company and got excited. And they would not have opened a zip file. They're not a gamer, but they saw a video that looked interesting. So that works for us. Those three parts. I just want to pick up on two things you've said, Mike, because I totally agree. First of all, about pitching to, you're possibly pitching to a junior person initially within the organization. What you get if you, you know, don't disregard them because they're not the people who are going to be making the decision. They are your evangelists within that organization, and, and we really pay attention to that because the senior person who's making the decision doesn't necessarily understand the entire you know, game mechanic and so on, but they will ask for advice from that first person that you have pitched to. So take that seriously. The other thing is we are pitching also at the moment, and I you know, can't say too much about it, but we have produced the video with the uh, voiceover explaining the gameplay mechanics. And we, pre that, what we did is we showed the prototype to um, loyal, um, you know, people that we know and friends within the sector in order to be sure that actually what we were doing was, you know, that they, they would, you know, that somebody would have confidence in it and say, yes, this is good. What about that? And we actually tweaked a lot of what we were doing as a result of those conversations. So use your friends, use people you know within the sector um, to fine tune before you start your pitch. This is actually, I, the, the nervous part of me will go, oh, they're already answering my questions, but what they're doing is they're laying the ground. No, no, this is really great because there's loads of things we can tuck back into. Um, but we've kind of naturally moved on to this um, topic of like, you know, I, I, I guess what I'm thinking is if every pitch is different and you've got to tailor it to the person you're pitching and maybe tailor it to the audience that they're considering, you know, and if you're at a huge company and you can have a pitching team, fine. But if you're not, to come up with a separate pitch each time, you know, I guess that's a full-time job. So, uh, and we've already started touching on it, but I'd love to hear more about sort of, you know, is there, do you, do you, is there a basis you can have, kind of a skeleton format that you can then customize? How do you guys? The prototype. Yeah, yeah, yeah almost oh. like a prototype pitch. It would, yeah. be, oh, it would just be interesting yeah. to hear yeah. like what you can, Rather than start afresh for every yeah. pitch, like what you can yeah. do. Uh, yeah, design, abs abs absolutely. I've been doing that for 20 years. You have your basic pitch, and you never start from a blank page. That's pointless because you've got, you know, the stuff, of the, the page about your company is going to be, you know, yeah. it's not going to change that much. Um, at, at Blitz, we had, um, you know, I, I, I do get to a certain extent where it's like you do have to change it around, otherwise people will notice <laughs> because if you start doing the same, you know, if you start pitching to, you know, 
uh, I don't know, Activision or whoever, multiple, that's a really bad example, but you, you know, someone that's got money to spend, yeah. you, you, you know, you send the pitches that, you know, they're going to get bored if you, if you do it the same format. You have to s surprise and delight people. Yeah. So um, you, have, you have to make people go, oh, you know, that's a bit different, or why am I thinking about that? And that can be a video, that can be... I've got, I've got lots of stories. <laughs> uh, I've got a question about them. Uh, yeah, ask me about funny things. <laughs> That's a separate thing. Well, I would say, you know, for, for, for us, for me in particular, um, you know, there's a diverse range of pitches you can do. Um, I pitch to the bank sometimes. Now, they, they're not, usually they're not game players or they don't understand games. So showing them mechanics and voiceover doesn't always work because they're not used to seeing prototypes. They're used to buying games, complete games. So you've got to be really careful. And what they want is they want a cash flow. It's the first thing they want, you know? Why are you coming to me? Where are the gaps in your cash flow? How are you, you know, if you don't plug them with us, you know, how, how will you do that? Is it your revenue that comes in from other games? Or are you going to somebody else and you've got a contract that has not been signed? You know, sometimes they'll ask for a letter of intent. We've done that in the past. So it gives them comfort. They know that we're down the line somewhere with, um, you know, a contract with maybe a, a console holder or somebody else. So there's that. That's the type of thing. The other pitch that we do is we pitch to people who we want to be involved in the making of the game. It could be uh, a fantastic writer. It could be um, an artist that we really want, but, you know, um, they might not want to come and work with us unless they know that the game that we're about to create is going to be a major success, or maybe it's one in a series. So it's just to give an idea of, you know, the pitch to those is very different to... I wasn't kidding when I said that I'm I genuinely was trained up in the things you invented genuinely in the in the in the Blitz pitch department. So we the model we had was two documents. One did exactly what you're talking about, which was a mile it, well this was more to publishers than than banks, so it was a milestone breakdown. Uh, so generally you'll have uh, pre-production um, then you'll have a, a, a rush towards alpha, which may have a, an intermediary milestone built into it, then beta, um, then gold disk, and you put some milestones in so between. So this would be the milestones for yeah, the Yeah, so that's, that's when you get paid. So you, you send over stuff to the publisher, they say, yes, this isn't rubbish, and they send you some money to keep making the game. And you have to think about cash flow very much in that, kind of front load that, so you're getting paid while you're developing the game, so you don't run out of money. Uh, that would be one document, and that would be a very kind of dry word document because the kind of people who would be reading that are very dry word document people um, and they don't want fanciness. The the concept pitch that we would then do was the razzmatazz. So that was, and, and this was the blitz structure and I still use this for everything, which is front page, logo, uh, second page internal, beautiful piece of concept art that sells the gameplay, the, what's cool about your world and what about your game. Then an executive summary. This is because executives don't read documents. What are you doing? They'll look at the nice image, and then they'll read one page of text before getting bored. So the first page of text you put in there is the executive summary. If someone's only going to read one page of your document, put that on one page and make it sound exciting and awesome. Uh, then you go into high-level design. What's, what's the experience of playing the game? That's usually a couple of pages. Like, give a little narrative breakdown of you run into the room, and there's a monster, and you fight them, um, or something much more original. Um, <laughs> and, then, uh, and then you can give like ideas of who the character the characters are, what the weapons are, depending on what kind of game you're making. 
and then close out with a page about how amazing you are um, and, and the amazing awards you've won and the games you've made uh, and, and kind of, yeah, make it sound exciting and interesting and like you're cool uh, and then present that well, that's what we send off. That's all our documentation we do. So that could be the foundation, whether you were going to skew it one way to be to a big AAA publisher or another yeah, way that's to my template. pitch. And right. that can scale up and down. I've, t I've taken that and crunched that down to two pages and I've taken it and scaled it up to like 20 or 30. I feel for the pot, this will be made into a podcast for the podcast listener at home. Simon did a very detailed hand gesture for Razzmatazz. The, um, <sighs> there it is, yeah. That's exclusively for you in the room. Boom. Kare <laughs> oh. Let's go on, and then Karina. I mean, just to just to, to add to that. So, um, what I used to love at Square was literally all the content that, that Mike would put in. Um, but what a lot of people would forget is to ask us or tell us exactly what they want. Um, <laughs> so it, they wouldn't make it clear what stage of development they were at. It's like, okay, cool, it's a cool idea. How can we help? Um, you need to be very clear on that. Um, if it's just money, which you won't get very far because that's not what people want. Uh, they want collaborations, as you, as you mentioned. Um, and then just a little thing about tailoring the pitches. Um, we had a really nice pitch where they made the prototype. Um, and it was nothing. It took them five minutes, but they were just like, oh, this is a presentation for Square Enix Collective. We were like, oh, OK, that's, that's quite nice. Um, but yeah, and uh, what we're looking for there, especially me as, as a producer, um, I'm looking to see if the budget matches the scope. Um, and then after that, I'd be like, okay, cool. Um, who are you? What are you up to? Um, and if you're not as well known as these people, you need to work hard on that. Um, and it's it, like, because all I see is risk. So once that pitch deck comes in, I'm like, okay, cool. Um, how likely is it we're going to make our money back? And, and I'm, not, I'm just going to be completely honest here. Like, you are the secondary concern. Like, we're just like, okay, we put money into this, how can we sell it? Can we sell it? Um, and how can we make our money back? If you're a platform holder, will it sell consoles? Yes, exactly. See, it, it, I think you, Karina, mentioned it before. That's what um, I'm doing. It, like, you need to understand what it is who you're pitching to wants. So, yeah, Sony Microsoft, they don't care about the game, they want to sell consoles. P publishers, yeah, they want to make money. Um, and what, what's the desire of the person that you're pitching yeah. to? What's their basic desire? Sometimes in the indie space, you're their arty game. That yep. happens. Yep. Like there's definitely publishers who will take games who, which are not financially going to make them their money, but they'll look cool on the internet. So well, it's, like, it's like, value to that. Yeah, like EA have got a whole EA have yeah. got a whole division just to make themselves look good. And there's no good. shame in being someone's arty side project. It's just like what's what's doing well on Screenshot Saturday. Let's let's just publish them because they're doing yeah, well. Like, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. It's funny, like that goose thing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's funny, like, listening to the, you know, obviously I've seen a lot of pitch decks as well because I help my clients write them, but, you know, talking from, like, the PR point of view, what you're talking about in that document, if you condense that down into sentences, that's what we pitch to press. And that you see these emails all the time, right? Yeah. In a world. <laughs> tons. So, you know, and it's all about putting your best foot forward. And usually, like, with press, it's always a gift because they don't have to download a video, they don't have to go to YouTube. It's just in their email, especially if they have, like, a Gmail account. You know, you need to be... Here's something really awesome, and here's the, the key points. Like half my emails are just bullet points because they don't have time. Like you think how many pictures that you must have seen at Square Enix Collective does. Like you know you have to wow them so quickly to get any attention. And with press, their their goal is we need clicks, we need to get revenue onto our website, we I need people to read our site. I don't read things unless it's bullet pointed. Uh, I know. It's I mean, basically saying this yeah. is a less of a waste of your time. Yeah. <laughs> a bullet point says this is a condensed uh, thing. Yeah. You know, you, you attach a press release, which will have all the fluff in it, but if you, if you, if you kind of go into it going, I know you're busy, 
I know you get tons of emails. Here's what you need to know. Decide whether you're interested. I guess this justifies the effort of the pitch. If it can be, I don't want to say recycle, but you can pitch it to the publisher, and then eventually you can use another version to pitch to the press and so on. All the, as long as it's not changed too much, you know, definitely make sure that the game's yeah. got tweaked or moving something. The, mod the modern hipster version of bullet points is animated GIFs. Love an animated this, GIF. This, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's no, oh, true. Yeah. Um, so you, well, you can include it in an email. If you email someone with an animated GIF, and I've seen a few, I've seen a few of the younger publishers um, mention this. If you animate uh, animated GIF that works in an email, make sure it works. Put that at the top of the email and gets their attention. It's funny because even with Screenshot Saturday, you know, a lot of a lot of people get publishers coming to them because they're putting out such good content just with. A hashtag. They don't have to write anything else. Sometimes that GIF is the most powerful thing you can put out there, yeah. um, and it's such a simple thing to do. It doesn't really cost you very much. If you've got a working prototype, it's a really, really quick way to get it out there. Yeah, we've got. I've got a friend in uh, Manchester called Fee Feedin. Uh, people might have seen his stuff because it's been going crazy on the internet. And he's been getting thousands of retweets for his game uh, Recompile, and he just looks really nice in in five second GIFs. And he just puts one every Saturday. He's actually doing too many, <laughs> but he's getting. He's gone from nothing to you know five six thousand retweets for every little animated GIF he's done, and people are getting excited about it. Noiren, did you want to? Yes, I, I was there? just going to say, um, you know, what, what's really important is to highlight the unique features that your game has. Because an example for Revolution, we're about to release, I think, 10th or 11th version of Broken Sword <laughs> 5. It's due to release next Friday on Switch. Now, you know, you can struggle. What are we going to say about this that we haven't already said? And you don't want to repeat yourself, but you also want to make a big splash because this is a big deal for us. Um, so um, the example we've used is this is the ultimate version of uh, Broken Sword 5, and indeed it is. And our new feature is that we use both the um, joystick and the touch screen, and it moves seamlessly between both. We've tested it on many people, and that's our unique feature that we're selling to the press and to everybody, and it's working. <laughs> so you just find that unique feature, and it, it really does pay dividends. Well, we hope. We'll know next week. The, the ultimate version until the next console comes out. Yeah, <laughs> if it ain't broken sword, don't fix it. I think we, that's, that's a it. It's a wrap, ladies. No, which um, is great. Which is great because we love them. So we just want to play them and everything. Anyway, I just wanted to add one more thing about the pitching. So we talked about pitch decks, but um, there's, a, you know, I mentioned animated gifs, but. I mean, I, ju I just pitched to Sony and, and successfully, and the first thing I sent to them was a one-page, was a one-page photoshopped uh, overview. So. You know, people don't have much time. You don't have much time. You know, uh, Mike's talking about spending a lot of time and money for his business on doing a pitch deck. But it gets to a, you know, a, a point where you're wasting people's time in your own time because they just might not want a game like that. So you might go, right, uh, I'm going to pitch a, a driving game to Sony. I've got this amazing idea for a driving game. And you just pitch to Sony, and you don't know that they've already got five driving games in production. So you've spent ages doing this lovely, beautiful Photoshop document when they're, they're, they're just literally not going to talk to you about it because they can't do any more driving games. So if you, I, I just did one page uh, for my game and uh, sent that through to one person at Sony who I knew and said, 
is anyone else pitching this sort of game? And they that's said something. Sorry, sorry. Just to, I'm sorry. I'm interrupting you. I really didn't mean to. It's interesting. That highlights actually one of the things we've not said, which is there are these two very specific kinds of pitches. There's what you're talking about, which is I sent my friend at Sony. Which, which, to be fair, like you know, do a good job of being at events and networking. You will have some friends at Sony you can send stuff to, and it's not an impossible thing to achieve. Um, but the other thing is obviously making stuff that can be more generally applied and pitched. So, so it's reactive versus going out and, and, and pitching something around uh, speculatively. Um, and definitely be very careful about pitching to one person. In, in your position, obviously, you, you can. You've got the reputation to do so. But um, I'd be very, if you've got, if you're sitting there thinking, I have the best idea for an Avengers game, don't just make a prototype for an Avengers game and go to Marvel and hope that they'll do it. Um, make something, if you've got an idea for an Avengers game, try and standardize and work out how you can pull back from that specific IP and do something, and hopefully you'll get in the room with Marvel to pitch their version. Um, but don't, don't bet the whole house on one pitch unless there's one place that makes perfect sense. That, that touches on another, the other thing that I wanted to get across on this panel. Uh, no, no, no you, you're setting me up, Mike. No, don't apologize. <laughs> um, the other thing that I really wanted to get across to people is always have a backup option. Now, you can have one really strong pitch, but if you go into this meeting with the best racing game ever that you've been working on for six months, and they go, we've got five racing games, we don't want any more of the racing games, then that's the end of the meeting. You just spend all this effort doing your pitch and setting up this meeting. So basically, always have a backup plan. Um, when we used to do um, shows at Blitz, I used to have four pitches. There was one time when we went to GDC, and I, and I had four pitches, and it was like an a la carte menu. And it's like, <laughs> which, of these, which of these four things are you interested in? There's a platform game, there's a shooting game, there's a, you know. Uh, and they were like, oh, I'll have number A and number, you know, a, number one and number three, and we'll talk about them. And, and people like that because it feels like they've wasted less of their time because it can, it can be really embarrassing. Um, and, and, and you might have four pitches in a, in a meeting and you know in your heart that number four is like the crappiest thing you've ever come up with. Um, but, you know, it's, it's nice to have that. You don't have to spend a lot of time on them, but I think just having a bit of variety. Um, my, you know, my record is I did... I, came, I had to come up with 12 pitches in one day. That was my record. <laughs> Des, like you're chomping at the bit. Yeah, yeah no, just, just to, to, to counter that. So, um, so my whole time at Square, I had a couple of friends pitch me stuff um, about specific things. So there's no way you would have got a meeting with me. Oh, can we just have a chat to pitch you some games? I, like, no, 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 no. I, would, I would have pitched a specific thing to you, but I would have had backup options. Oh, right, I see. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah cause I'm not going to say, good. here, I want to pitch 100 things to you. Yeah, that that, that would have come down, yeah. You could have replied to the email, though, Des, you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know, Will, if, if you were going to ask about you know, various tips and things. Um, one thing to think about would be where you're pitching, location. Um, well, I was going to ask. Were you? Like, I, I, no, no, sorry, no, am no, I jumping no, the gun? No, no, it's great. Like, um, you know, there's actually... I don't want to. We always, you know, the stereotype of like standing opposite someone in a room. But I, I want know. to ask about how much yeah. of this is person to person, yeah. how much variety yeah. of locations. So yeah. please. For example, on. EGX is coming up in Birmingham, and there will be an awful lot of um, young students and graduates pitching their prototypes. And the thing I say to people in that circumstance is it's a very crowded space, it's very loud, noisy, so you need to be prepared to project your voice, to 
I would suggest have some, uh, you know, have your prototype that they can play, but also have a video. Check out the technology before you get there because things will go wrong, and they always do. So make sure that you have, you know, your demo on a USB stick as well as on your computer and make sure that the all the wiring and connections, uh, you know, yeah. connect to your... Um, so it, it's just the logistics sometimes come and stump you. You've got your message, you've got your script down, but the technology fails. And I wanted to ask actually about the elevator pitch, you know, I'm sure we all know the term, but the pitch that's done kind of ad hoc, unplanned. I have once, I think it was the first Oli Oli game, we ended up in an elevator during the, that this guy bumped into, and then suddenly we were in an elevator, the real thing. But as a journalist, I'm certainly, loads of the articles I've written or games I found out about have come from that ad hoc pitching situation, which I guess is an elevator. Beta pitch and once really was an elevator pitch. How important across, you know, we again we've got more than just developers here, but how important is it to be ready for that improvised five minutes ad hoc type elevator pitch? I mean, you should you should know what your game is, like regardless. Like I I don't I don't like I don't like the idea of overly formalizing it because I've definitely I've definitely had people pitch me in an elevator about this idea for an MMO that's going to change the world. Um, and and it's the key thing is this and 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 the problem with that is a it feels very manufactured I think if you overdo it and b um, it's the games industry so whatever you're pitching as the new exciting hotness is going to be in five games in six months from now so it's it, you can't necessarily work that way but I think you should be intimate and comfortable enough with your project that you can in an elevator say hey Des I'm making this game right it's about um, it's about friendship it's about characters going on an adventure together but the whole thing's rectangles people think it's art. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what we'll do is we'll have a comedy actor called Danny Wallace who's going to do the voiceover, and we've got really nice music. It's going to be lovely. Can I show you some stuff at a later date? Like, that's a, that's a fine elevator pitch. That's absolutely okay. I don't need to say... I want to tell you about the next stage in, you know, I don't, I think, I think it's a bit more um, casual now than, than, than maybe it, it used to be. I don't know. I mean, I, I write elevator pitches for, for clients, so for the marketing point of view, and usually there's something that won't go public because they are quite dry. Uh, and, and usually, you know, a lot of the reason behind them is uh, to kind of give you direction and to make you think about what the interesting factors are for your game. Like, so what are the, the two or three most important things that you need to communicate in every piece of marketing material, whether that's a tweet, whether that's a description on Facebook, you know, your Steam short description, all of these things need to be uh, formalized so that there's consistency across your campaign. Right, so even if you never gave that hypothetical <coughs> elevator pitch, yeah. having that condensed yeah. pitch can form yeah. another one of those. Absolutely. Kind of even if it's a phrase or a sense, I noticed actually when you were talking about uh, some of your previous games, you had a few, right? I picked up on them, <laughs> yeah. um, and there was, uh, and there's, there are, yeah, three, three bullet points was what I was always told to have in my head. Three bullet points. It's about friendship and jumping. It's got a cool voice actor, and it's rectangles. As long as I remember to say those three things in every conversation I have about Thomas was alone, I'm fine. We're kind uh, of moving into. I wanted to talk about kind of format being formal versus being personal. I think we're very lucky in the games industry where you can relatively be yourself, and you know, it, it, there's an open-mindedness to a more casual, personal approach. At the same time, I've been on the receiving end of pitches. I remember one years ago where the guy, it was some kind of space observation game and the guy had a telescope, as a joke, but gaffer taped into the iPad. He was dressed <laughs> as a scientist. And I can remember the pitch very well, but I can't remember the game, studio, project, anything like that. 
Um, at the same time, a very dry pitch can be hard to engage with. So, just any thoughts on like how formal versus personal the, versus eccentric one should be? I, I was about to say that there's too many gimmicks, but I've done loads of gimmicks. <laughs> yeah, right, because again, I can remember that pitch. So um, some you can't, yeah, but you can't remember the no, game. Exactly, yeah. So there was a guy wandering around, I think it was, um, I can't remember which show it was, I've been to a lot this year, but I think it was GDC, and he had like a, something on his hat springing around. Oh, I saw him. I'm not going to, I don't want to be more specific, because yeah. like, people might know who he was, but it was like he had something on springs on his hat. It was a specific object that will tell you who he is, I won't say it is. But I was just like, it's not a circus. It feels a bit like, I mean, but... I, what was his game about? I'm not telling you. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh, you do remember? No, I, I don't want, I, I, okay. I sort of, because I, yeah, I don't want to be specific because I don't want to be horrible, but I, I was just like, I, it, it just, there's a certain level of professionalness yeah. that you want from people, especially if you're going to give them big chunks of money. And people are asking for like, you know, over, you know, once it goes over 50 grand, that's a serious amount of money. So I think, yeah, you do have to have some level of professionalism. <laughs> oh, sorry. I'm being, I'm talking, but I'm, but I'm, but, well, what I'm talking about. Des, I've got a great idea for a game. Let's, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm, 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 it costs 49.99. Um, yeah. I mean, I'm, 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 t I'm talking about, um, yeah, I'm talking about very, you know, the smallest amount for an indie game. I think is, is that, I, that yeah. someone's asked me for is is 50 grand. Someone asked me for 60 grand the other day, so it's in my in my mind. <laughs> um, and I, I think you have to have some level of uh, some level of professionalism yeah. because you you know me people that have been in the games industry for longer and, and worked to bigger companies and dealt with bigger amounts of money. We're going to go, you know, we, we we are taking it seriously and. Yeah. Noirin, I'd be interested here because oh. you, yes, you, yes. Um, there's <laughs> that, you know, I, I'm imagining you maybe do some pitches where there's more place for formality, particularly, you know, the example yes. of the bank, they definitely yes. don't want but, novelty, but then oh. where the even in that situation where the place of personal enthusiasm or we've, personality. We've, we've never really used gimmicks, I'll be honest. Um, we tend to work really hard on um, our presentations. We call them presentations rather than pitches, really, you know, and you're nodding. Um, we're very serious about it. We do an awful lot of research around the story and around, um, you know, the theme of what we're producing. And um, the, the story is really important for us. The um, game's design document, which really is the mechanics of what happens in the game and the interactions between characters and the environments they're in, um, and we also produce videos, and we take it really seriously. I mean, we we work on it and rework it and rework it and get practically everybody on the team works on that. And, um, of course, we're never satisfied. We're never 100% sure. It's like, you know, it's like a canvas. When, when, is the, when is the painting finished, you know? I'm also a fine artist. I, it's never finished, and somebody tells you, leave it. Do not put the brush, don't touch it again with that brush stroke because you'll ruin it. And it's that with the games. We never feel confident that we have created the best of the best. It's the next one. It's the next one. Yeah, I, th I think publishers are smart. Like they're, and they know that it's not going to be you with your goofy hat that's trying to sell the game to the thousands of people they need to sell it to. They know exactly, as you said, that essentially your pitch is via their marketing team and, and they're, they're you know, varied 
requirements basically going to become the way they sell this to journalists and, and, and YouTubers and the actual end user themselves. So they know that however much they like you or your gimmick, um, the game's all that really matters, right. and and you don't need to you don't need to kick down the door with a gimmick. It used to be that in order to get attention, I remember reading an article by a guy who was pitching a film script about a, a nuclear war, who sent a literal not a literal but a, a massive bomb, like a, a work a papier mache bomb to a film studio uh, with his script for this movie in it, and he got it, which is an annoying ending to that story given how much of an asshole he was. Um, but um, that. Like it, that doesn't matter anymore. That's not your. There are so many ways you can. There are indie publishers who put their email addresses on their Twitter. Callum does. Ben does. I think you did uh, when you were at Square. And it's like, and it's they're all there and approachable. You just need to get in their inbox with a good game and present it in some of the ways that have been discussed. Like it's not. It's not rocket science. It's not a. It's it's tough. You'll fail a lot. Um, no one ever talks about the failures. I, one of the questions I get asked a lot is, how do I get Andy Serkis into one of my games? The answer is I tried to get 20 other actors into my game, and they didn't do it, but Andy Serkis actually said yes. Um, but you don't care. You don't care about the 19 failures there. You only see the success. And that's the same with pitching, is any given game you're pitching, you're going to pitch and fail 99% of the time. That's how it works. Yeah. Very keen to throw it open to the audience soon, although I've got through about a third of my questions, so if you lot don't come up with anything, there's plenty, but I'd like you to come up with some things. But I just, you know, it seems like we're saying no gimmicks. Actually, there's a place for formality, even though the games industry is a relatively you, you, you can have You can have gimmicks, just don't start with a gimmick. Right. And what well, I was going to say, is there, play, you know, personal passion and enthusiasm? Where does that fit into a pitch if you're wanting to strike that balance. So I think the other thing that I wanted to get across as well was um, that, um, and, and what Noreen was saying, um, you're, you're at a show and you're pitching your thing. I, I hate playing games at shows. It's the worst place to play video games. I'm going to EGX next week. Actually, I'm showing my own game, but... Um, <laughs> but <laughs> uh, but I, um, I genuinely hate playing games at shows because it's a really bad environment to play games in. You've got people screaming around you. Even if you've got headphones on, you've got distractions. You've only got a small amount of time to play it. It's just it's the worst place to, to you know, a public show is the worst place to play a game. So you've got these cool little indie games, and it's just you're not giving them uh, a good, you know, um, you're not giving them a good, uh, a fair shot at pitching to you or whatever, because you're not. And then that makes it worse if you're in a half an hour pitch meeting, you've only got a small amount of time to, to do that, to pitch to someone. Because you, games don't take half an hour, apart from Mike's uh, mini games, games don't take half an hour to play. Um, so you need a bit of, um, uh, you know, you need a bit of, of, of time to do that. Um, but the, sorry, the thing I wanted to say was that um, people buy people. It, you know, people, that's more important than anything else. Um, so, it's more important when you're doing a pitch that they understand you and your company as, as people rather than the game because they can go back to their office and play your game demo and look through your presentation, but you've got that very small amount of time to establish a personal connection with people. I think everyone in business recognizes that people do business with people that they like, and it might be the best thing ever, but if they think you're a dick, they're not gonna get into a business relationship with you. Um, you know, sometimes they do if they're going to make millions and millions of dollars, but generally people like working with people that they like, and that's what you can do on a personal day-to-day -day basis. It's, it's funny because, you know, I, I talk to my clients a lot, and a lot of them are indie devs, and 
the amount of times they go on their Twitter channel and it is just screenshot Saturday after screenshot Saturday, no personality, no pictures of themselves. I'm like, you know, you're not a big corporation. You can show personality part of the... But not too much. I, I'm, re yeah, I'm, re I'm reluctant to do that because I'm a but, bit older, so I'm, I'm reluctant. <laughs> no, seriously, but I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm reluctant to do that on my, on my Twitter feed. Yeah, you don't have to. I mean, it, it's obviously down to the person, but, you know, a lot of the time I say to them, like, you're a working industry that is fun and you can show a bit of fun. Obviously, there's a limit in person. You know, you have to be professional, but that doesn't mean that you can't do a selfie at EGX where you'll stand behind you and having fun and how much you enjoy doing what you do. And, um, you know, that personality thing, it, it helps with press particularly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. I mean, yeah, I was going to try and throw it over to the audience, so we'll do that any second. But yeah, you know, I guess the person who, the, the studio that every tweet is a screenshot or a formal announcement, or the one that mixes that up with some of their own enthusiasm, I'm more likely to notice the latter. I think we could dwell on this point forever, but we have, let's, we've already got a hand up. Brilliant. There is a microphone on its way, sir. So, yeah, hit us with your question. It's good social media practice if we do it. Um, <laughs> I work in... <laughs> I'll be sure to retweet that next to the app Kid Decimo will give you 50,000 for a novelty hat, <laughs> which I've done. Um, I was going to ask, uh, coming from a financial white pages and, and cash flow background, I was a little bit surprised that uh, at the kind of degree of fluidity. I, I'd be a bit nervous about someone who came in to pitch a first-person shooter, and you said, we're really looking for strategy games. And I, we could do that. And I'd be thinking... Yeah. I failed with that approach, um, yeah. genuinely. Like, and specifically, actually, on the financial side, I, I went, once went and did a pitch, and I said, here's the, here's the <laughs> version financially. This is the one that costs this much, and here's the one that costs twice as much. And I thought that was a really good idea to go in and, and say, you know, we can scale this to what your investment is. And, and everyone looking across the table from me was like, you don't know what game you're making. Like, I, it really failed for me. So I think there's, I mean, that is a tightrope. But, but I think creatively, it seems it has worked for lots of people, right? To go in and, and reactively. I did the thing I'm working on at the moment was someone came to me asking me to pitch X Y Z. They asked me to pitch a, let's say, puzzle game, and I said no, but you should have a racing game, and that worked. So you can you can do that, but it, you need to. I think you do need to show like a solidity of focus. When, sorry, when, when I was at Blitz, we were a, a professional work for hire games development company, so in theory, we could make any game that you wanted us to make. So, Were there any more questions? Excellent. Um, lady with her, back, her hand up three rows back. Hello, thank you. Um, I'm a games design student at the University of East London, and something we covered in my second year, which was um, last year, was um, the game design documents in our professional practice module, and I wanted to ask, like, what's the state of game design documents now when you're both when you're pitching and on the receiving end of a pitch? Like, how much does it factor into it, into the process? Hand, hand, let's just try, hand, for the current game that you're working on, hands up who has a game design document. Oh, sorry, <laughs> it's funny, because yeah, yeah, yeah. the game design document, for I, anyone I who doesn't My game's know, out next month, I don't have a game design document. It's projected as, like, the gut the foundational document of it the used game, to be like it used it, to be it, it used to be you write a 200 page document that said this is the thing we're making and then you'd use that to sell the game is that the kind of thing you're doing on your uh, course uh, no that's what we've been no. told used how it used yes. to be Good, that's um, the teaching that's yeah the teaching. i mean you yeah. develop it as you go hand yeah. in hand with the story it's, for us at yeah. revolution and at the end of the game we have uh, a design document that chunky um, so it, we take it scene by scene, act mm. by act, and it's, you know, it includes concepts, art concepts. I, I would equate it to the script for a film or TV series 
it's that level of detail. It, it's like the narratives and then... It doesn't yeah, sound like you have that in, I guess, the typical or stereotypical game design document of referred to as the GDD, is yeah. kind of all in place before the game. It sounds like we've moved to a place... That's we write them as we need them. Like It sounds like that's what you yes. need to produce all yes. your assets. For us, we, we our rule in, in my team is we make a document... Um, we make documents for features, not for the game. We So if there's a specific thing that we're, we're working on that we realise, you know, um, something I'm, I just wrote actually yesterday was our structure for our metagame. And that's a four-page document that kind of lays out the high level of how that metagame works. The reason for that is that's going to have to be read by four or five people. The problem with bigger game design documents in the past was often that we would they would become jobs for game designers, but no one would read them. They'd be out of date very quickly because you'd do something and you'd go, oh, that's not fun, we need to tweak this. So yeah, yeah. We, we focus on like a problem that needs to be solved. That coder over there needs to understand what the artist over there is producing the assets for, so let's make a document that kind of joins that up. It's, they're, they're communication documents rather than design documents, I'd okay. say. So they're treated more like internal documents than stuff that you pitch yeah. to people yeah. now. Yeah. Okay. And so our, our games, um, halfway towards, I'm not actually, I really shouldn't say that. <laughs> our, our game's in a place in its development, um, and, uh, <laughs> and, and, uh, and we only have, like, I'd say, probably 20 documents, each of which are five pages. So it's still a 100-page document, I guess, but it's not written out. It's like you say, it's reactive to what you need, right? So I guess traditionally, the GDD was a game design document with something like you had to have to show the outside world, right? Des, you it was Moses to, coming down the mountain with the tablets. Yeah. Whereas it, now, it's, you're uh, seeing that change? Oh, totally. Uh, uh, yeah, being on both sides of the, the, the table. So um, even when I first started the games, I found it ridiculous that on day one, we had to know exactly what everyone was doing and when they were going to do it um, on day one. Like, because sometimes you make a prototype and you think, actually, what was in my mind was a bit shit. So you got to change it. Um, but to actually answer your question is, um, so what I always look for is, I, I call it enough design up front. So, you know, like feature sets. In, in your pitch doc, if you've put these pillars down, our game is about these three things, I expect you to know what they are and how they're going to work. Because as soon as I read that pitch deck, that's my next question is coming. I was like, okay, cool. Um, I can kind of see where you go with the prototype. I'll give you money for pre-production, which is maybe three or four months, depending on how big the game is. What are you going to do with the money in that time? Do Sony still require a GDD? Because oh, I know when we did on this, Thomas this, was alone, this, we put a link to the Steam store page, yeah, so this, it's our GDD. Yeah. This, this, is, this is the interesting thing. So I've got a substantial amount of money out of Sony, and they've not seen any games design documents. Really? Oh, that's cool. That's changed. Um, and, uh, well, they've, 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 they've seen the page document. I mean, it's a little bit different for me because I've got experience, and I think if you were... Well, Sony aren't going to give any money to really to a... To a, a, a Ingenue company, or whatever you want to call them. Mm. Um, but um, well, saying that, they did, did have put Melbits out on Playlink, and that was they won a competition in Spain as students, and they've put that out on Playlink. It's really cool. Um, uh, oh, sorry, I was just going to say that um, that um, previously, ten years ago, you had to, to get the contract, you had to give them a game design document. Um, so you would be writing 300-page documents before you got any money, and that's a big, you know, only bigger companies like Blitz or, you know... Like junior designers T existed, right? T yeah, only, only bigger companies can do that, because they can only... only they can oh, you, we you do can it. We're, yeah, you can We're a relatively small um, studio, but we need the design document in order for our scripters uh, to be able to implement the assets into the actual game and start working on it. So the, the first thing we do is the story. That goes 
almost hand in hand with the design document because depending on how the design moves and there'll be various amendments maybe to the um, story, but certainly not the overall structure of the story, but the detail of what's happening with the characters within that story. We have but so much art to produce, right? You've just got so many exactly, assets you've got to build. Yeah, we have enormous amounts. So yeah. you guys, was it 25th or 30th anniversary recently of Revolution? Um, we're 27 years 20 now, but we had the 25th, 50th. yeah. Right, so a company with 27 years experience still finding use in the game's design documents. So I guess, Karina, were you about to Yeah, I was going to say, that I, I, I backed your Kickstarter for Vive. Thank you. A uh, big fan of that series. And, and, you know, the design document was one of your awards, it right? It was, it was, yes. Have you got it? Of course oh, I do. Nice. It, yeah, it's brilliant. It, it and, is, isn't it? And, you know, Thank like, you. It's really clever. So you basically yeah. monetize your GDD. Yeah. yeah. That's really so, clever. You, you see, so like that, that work didn't go for nothing. It was, it was valuable in other It's valuable really for an awful lot of people Absolutely. because you you get to see the design document and the level of detail that's required to Is it not um, just lots of black redacted lines? Yeah. <laughs> I just, I just, I'm, I was worried before that we were going to run out of time and I've got through about a third of my own questions. Does anyone from the audience have any more? Ah, see, now all the hands come up. Now we've got two minutes. Um, let's have the lady with the scarf on and then if there's time, the chap with the T-shirt right next to her, go for it. Hey, how you guys doing? Um, I'm Variety stand-up comedian Natris, and um, this is my brother Dujon. Um, and on behalf of my brother, um, is it is it something good to utilise YouTube as a form of pitching? Because my brother's trying to do this thing called AIR, um, which stands for Autistic Intelligence Revolution. Um, and it's not just based on gaming, even though uh, he's a big fan of games. And he's got some, like myself and my comedy friends who are also going to do voice acting for his game. But is it also a good tool for YouTube or Vivo? Um, so you're almost talking about using one of those video channels as a place to host your pitch that you could send yeah. to people. Yeah, it gets your personality across, which is yeah. what we've touched on. And, to and people, people talking to each other. So I've, I've recently been pitching for funding for my company, which is you know, separate to what I normally do in my day-to-day -day work. And uh, actually, one of their requirements is that you host your pitch as a as an uh, unlisted video so that anyone within that organization can easily access it, but it's not public. So if it's sensitive, the unlisted feature is really, really, you know, it's super easy to use, but it's really valuable. Um, and also, you know, you can see where people have come from. So if you get, you use Bitly, for example, you can see who's clicked on it. Um, and you can make individual links for each publisher. So, you know, if, say, for example, you send it to Sony, you can make a new Bitly link, and if they click on it, it will take them to the video, but you can, you know how many people in that organization have clicked it. So a bit they, cheeky, but- The other option really is to do it, yeah. yeah. The other option is to do it publicly, and, and, and actually building that, that credibility with an audience can get you into those rooms, and, yeah. and if you can, there's lots of, I mean, we were talking about uh, Screenshot Saturday, like being a way of people, uh, people hearing about a game and publishers literally chasing those up, and if you can make a really compelling YouTube pitch to, to the audience, yeah. then the audience can get mobilized, and, and right. the, the publisher will notice that. That's, I've seen that work for people, um, but you need, to be, you need to be able to get the audience on board for that yeah, and mobilize we're, them. We're basically trying to connect with the NA so the National Autistic Society. So right. it's mostly charitable fund, mm. but okay. also make it bigger, like what you guys were saying about half an hour ago about, you know. If, you if it's a specific yeah. organization, I'd, I'd say so look at what their niche, process. Really, like, yeah, yeah. We'll find out what their process is, I guess, for how they like to be approached as well. Yeah, and then go with the big boys with the Sony's <laughs> and the Microsoft. Sure. And the, well, it, they'll, yeah. they'll love it because, yeah, no, it's, if it, a, if it's, it's a about as well, right? If it's about a specific issue, it's like any other issue that you're wanting to publicize. You want to get it out there as much as possible and to become a thing that people yeah. that people talk about, whether it's you know autism or um, graphic shaders that you're passionate about. <laughs> so it sounds like we've got two uses for the video pitches, almost building the audience, but also if you can only pitch to one person in the build, bit in the building, 
you can leave that video for other people there to see. We better. Oh, so, I was going to say, be very careful about any sensitive information, financial information, anything that you wouldn't want, because the problem with a with a, a private unlisted YouTube video is all it takes is someone to share the link publicly by mistake, um, and that's all out there. So just if, if you're using YouTube as a platform, I would say Dropbox or something like that is one layer more of obfuscation that makes that difficult. So, yeah. We've got time for one more question. We're a few minutes over, and I think this gentleman had reserved it, so far away. Hey, um, coming from a film visual effects background, I'm looking to transition into games. Um, obviously, what I'm hearing about the industry is the pitch is like um, it's sacrosanct. It's the thing. It's the thing you have to do to to get into the industry, to get some funding, to get rolling. Um, one little fear I have in the back of my mind is I've got you know 15, 16 years of film credits, big visual effects, ridiculous explosion films. Um, I'm a programmer, I'm an artist, that's what I've done for a job. I've never produced a video game. I'm looking at producing a video game. If I sit down in a room with a bunch of uh, people who might be willing to give me money, are they going to say, what are you doing in this room? Why aren't you making movies? <laughs> so, 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 yeah. But um, So for me, again, from the risk side of things, I'd be like, okay, cool. How are you going to plug that gap? Like, you need to answer that question for me. Like, and if... Yeah, if it's not in your deck, fine. Like I'm quite responsive in meetings. So, but if you give me an answer there and then, okay, cool. I know this is a weakness. This is how I'm going to fix it. Well, that problem goes away. So, okay, cool. You said you're a programmer. Can you can you make a prototype yourself? Are you at that? You've got the competency with the game tools. Yeah. That, that that's a big yeah. help because you get a lot of people who come in from kind of other industries and say, I've got this idea, and it's you know a bit of pitch, but they've got no technical know-how to actually make it. That's hard. It's, That's a hard pitch to make. It's not a negative that you're coming from the film industry and haven't made a game, um, but I'm not, I'm not going to give you a lot of money straight away. <laughs> but don't worry about, you know, don't feel like an imposter or anything because you're not part of the games industry. If It's actually, you know, if, if you were pitching to me and saying, I really, you know, you know, it's going to be hard to get a meeting with people because you don't have experience or, you know, um, some sort of games element in your career. But it's not impossible. And also, I, I would take it as a, compliment if someone does you know sounds like they've got a lot of experience in the film industry wants to be involved in my industry because it's like oh he thinks our industry yeah. is cool as well you know we still do think film is way cooler than us like that's definitely <laughs> and a, definitely a, there's a, a sentiment industry yeah the video I games don't, industry being a collaborative one i think it's fair to say there's an open-mindedness to learning from the skills and expect like i mean guru live is really a, and the growth of what guru live is we in the third one is um test is about you know there's been this movement of the games industry is growing technology and skills and techniques from worlds like VFX. You, I think, broadly speaking, it's an industry open to you, parallels with other industries. I mean, I, I used to work for a company that did transmedia, so they did post-production of film and games at the same time. And, you know, there's a lot of knowledge that can transfer between those two areas. And, you know, uh, you, you look at some of the games, most of them are like films, like the Spider-Man that released recently, like some of the scenes and the cutscenes are unbelievable. And, you know, that's there, there's a lot of transferable skills. And I, I think, you know, like, like Des was saying, as long as you can kind of communicate how you use those, you'll be fine. Yeah, you, you need to, you need to, sorry, um, sorry. You need to say that why, why are you doing it and, and, and what, what can... So your, selling, your unique selling point is what you've been doing for 16 years. And you need to say, this is what I can bring to the games industry and this game, these, these specific things, and that's what gets my attention. Just to add one more kind of generic thing for everybody. is um, So uh, we've been quite positive here, but there's some negative bits about pitching as well. So uh, one important thing to think about is um, everyone has unconscious bias. So... There's points you go to a meeting, you're not going to get the money. Where it doesn't, you can have the best pitch in the world, but you know, 
they can have a car accident, can have an argument with their partner or something. Something's going to like just be like, I don't like this person. And you, you can't control that. So, um, yeah, if you lose pitches, it's not necessarily anything about you or about the game. Sometimes it's just the environment. So, yeah, don't worry about that. And I think, I really like this, that you turned what could have been a negative point into a positive spin, which is don't worry too much. <laughs> and on that note, uh, that's, the, that's the key takeaway, don't worry too much. Uh, no, we do, we have gone over quite a way, so uh, thank you um, to the audience for your attentiveness, to those that ask questions, um, thanks to the panel for some brilliant insights, and we are wrapped, so thanks very much, everyone. <laughs>